Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello Church, so we are going to finish our series on being anchored. We used a passage from Hebrews 6. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from verse 18. It says, By two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner Jesus entered. This is the idea that there is an anchor for your soul. You know, all of us are in storms in this world. This world is full of ups and downs and unexpected things, both without and within, circumstances and emotions, other people and my own conscience. And I'm blown about by storms. I can put out what seems to be an anchor to another flotation device, to something of this world that I'm relying on, my money, other people, my parents, my background, my job, whatever it may be, I can put out these flotation devices. But when the real storm comes, either in this life or at the end of my life, those flotation devices will not get me safely home to heaven. And so God has provided an anchor. It says he has provided this anchor for us. We have to flee from those other things to lay hold of the anchor. It's a bit like you're, you're floating in a stormy sea, holding on to your flotation device. And someone says, here, take my hand. This is the real salvation. But you have to let go of that other thing to grab the real salvation. And we've said that there are three things that our hope is anchored into. God's work, God's word, and God's will. Let me briefly explain those. And then today I'm going to talk about God's will and we're going to wrap it up. And we are going to go forward as a people who are anchored. We have a supernatural source of strength, stability, and we can operate in a different way. Even through the storms, we can be sure and steadfast. So God's work the first thing that I'm anchored into is God's finished work behind the veil. Jesus went behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. He put his blood on the mercy seat. He paid for my sins in the spirit realm. I am fully forgiven, loved, clothed with Christ, accepted in the beloved. God smiles when he sees me. His work is finished. Jesus finished the work. He put his blood on the mercy seat and paid for my sins. And if I am anchored in there, if I go into God's presence daily and I look at that finished work and what Christ did for me, it gives me an anchor. Even though everything else can be going haywire and even though my own conscience can be pointing a finger and accusing me, I can say in the spiritual realm, not in my physical, not the, the physical world around me or in my own works and abilities, the finished work of Christ in the spirit realm means my spirit the very essence of me, the center of me, the real me, is forgiven, cleansed, clothed in Christ. We anchor in his work, in his finished work, in the spirit realm behind the veil. That's the first one. The second one is his word. We are anchored in his word, not in what we think is true, not what the world says is true, not what our five senses say is true. We get our information and our truth, our grounding of what is true from God's word. 
and we love it and we absorb it and feed on it and it strengthens us and we're anchored in his word which never changes my emotions circumstances all sorts of things can change my my situation in life can be good one day and bad the next my moods and emotions go all over the place but god's word if i'm anchored in his word and i'm feeding on it and i'm choosing it you know, it says we flee from the other things and we lay hold of this. We take refuge in the anchor. I've got to throw out the other ideas and the other beliefs, the other places I've gone to seek comfort and refuge. And I've got to say, God, your word is true. All your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. Psalm 119 says, God's work I'm anchored in his finished work in the spirit realm behind the veil. And I go there daily. God's word is where I get my source of truth. And I'm anchored in it. And it's more true than anything else in the world for me. And I'm anchored there. But then the third one is God's will. God's will. And this is where I leave my own will and the things that I have been running after and wanting and that the world says I should be focused on and the the purposes and plans that I may have or selfishly want for my life. And I say, God, your will is more important than anything. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father, Um, the will of God. If we are anchored in God's will, in other words, every day I say, God, what is it that you want? And we saw last week that it says in this passage, there are two parts to God's will, two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. There is God's desire that he puts out there in his word hundreds of times. Just in the New Testament alone, it talks about God's will. It's a particular Greek word, thelema or thelo, and it occurs over 270 times speaking of God's will. Let me read you a few of those. Jesus, Luke 22, 42, Jesus says, Father, if it is your will, that first occurrence of the word will in this verse is actually the other type of will, but I'll get to that later. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, my desire, my want be done, but yours. Luke 13 verse 34, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted, I willed, I desired to gather your children as a hen gathers her brood, but you were not willing. Again, Thelo or Thelema. So God's will and my will may not always be the same thing. What about this verse? Ephesians 5, 17. Do not be unwise. When the Bible speaks about it being unwise, it means going down a road that leads to destruction. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will, Thelema, of the Lord is. This word will that occurs so many times in the Bible is God's expressed desire, his wishes, what's best for us. You say, is it best for me? Well, Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This will of God, where I study His word, I I search for treasure in it to say, God, what is your will for me? What is it that you want for me? Because when I marry up my desires with God's desires, Philippians 2 verse 12 says, God has already put within me to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's already in me. But when I study his word and I'm 
anchored in what is what is pleasing to God and I'm searching for it, then it brings me sustenance. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of God. It brings me pleasure, the good, acceptable or pleasing and perfect will of God. Um, it, It brings me direction. It helps me to marry up my desires with God's. In 1 John 5, it says, if we pray anything according to that will, this is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to his will, his dilemma, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. There are so many verses. We understand God's will, God's word, if we marry our will with his. John 7, 7 verse 17, Jesus said, If anyone wills, Thelo, to do his will, Thelema, they shall know whether the doctrine is of God. Um, there, there are many, many verses about God's will and the power of it. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now we know that sometimes God's will and human will don't match up. So in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, it says that God's will is he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, but people have to have to cooperate. And that's why there's these two levels of God's will. There is what God has said he wants, his promises that are always true, but they require some kind of human interaction and involvement. And those exist that it is valuable and wonderful to be founded in those, to find God's promises, to find God's will, to fight for them, to pray for them, to, to want them as well and to work with God for his will. But there is a second layer or level of God's will where God says, this is my determined purpose that I am going to do, whether you get involved or not. And that word is much more uncommon in the Bible. There are only 12 times that the word boule appears in the Bible. So I read you a verse from Luke 22. Let me read it to you again. Jesus praying just before he's crucified. He says, Father, if it is your will, your bulemai, your determined purpose that you will achieve, if it is your will, take this cup of crucifixion from me. Nevertheless, not my desire, thalema will, but your dilemma be done. Jesus was marrying up his will with God's desire will and God's purpose, bulamai. Um, and today I want to spend the rest of our time together just saying what is God's determined purpose. It only occurs a handful of times in the Bible and we can know it. And if we know it, And we're anchored in it, not just his desire will, which we should be working towards, but his determined purpose. It is a foundation. It is an anchor that will never be moved. Now, I just want to say that this doesn't mean that I will be free from pain or hardship or suffering. The Bible makes it clear that even if you are doing God's will, in fact, sometimes because you are doing God's will, you will have opposition from the world, from the devil. Uh, You will have some kind of conflict. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2, 3, and 4, there are several verses which talk about suffering for doing good, suffering as a Christian, suffering because you're doing the will of God. And it says, don't consider it strange or don't be surprised by this. It's not surprising. It's going to happen. But it is still worth it. It is better to be founded in God's will 
even though there is suffering that may come along, than to be founded in my own will or other people's will or the devil's will or what the world says I should be doing. Because when the storm comes, only God's will will get me through to the other side. So just to summarize, I want to show us today what God's will is. Not his desire will, because there are so many hundreds of verses about that that we couldn't cover it in one day. But his purpose will, his determined purpose. We said last week that he promised to Abraham an oath. And we saw that there are just a couple of times in the Old Testament where God swears an oath and he lifts his promise from his normal level of promise to something that is determined. He says, I swear by myself. In other words, I'm not involving anyone else in this promise. It's just within me. I'm going to do it no matter who is with me, no matter what happens. I swear by myself. It's, it's within me, this promise. And we saw that he made an oath to Abraham and that it was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And Jesus' death on the cross was, was the fulfillment of that oath. And now I just want to look at the other verses that talk about God's purpose. And you might say that's very ambitious to try and cover it in one day, in one sermon. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul speaking said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And he was talking about this very thing, the, the counsel, the boule. The, the determined purpose of God. And so if Paul could, when he was speaking to the Ephesian church for two and a half years, cover the whole counsel of God, I think we can get a good grasp on it today. And interestingly enough, he was speaking to the Ephesians when he said, I've proclaimed the whole counsel of God to you. And in the book of Ephesians, we get the best summary of what God's will or his determined purpose or his counsel is. Why are we studying this? Why do we want to know? Because I want to be founded. I want my life to be pointing towards what God is doing in the world, both his desire will and his determined will. And if I'm doing that by two immutable things, we can lay an anchor for our souls that cannot be shaken. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, in this passage that I'm going to read, Paul uses virtually every word that relates to God's will, both his desire will and his determined will, and a couple of words that talk about his pre-decided will, predestination will, where it's the same as his determined will, but it says, he decided it beforehand or outside of time and, and space. So it says he has made known to us the mystery. It used to be a mystery, especially in the Old Testament. God's will was vague and murky. But in the New Testament, it becomes clear and in focus. The mystery of his will, thelema, his desire will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed. And that's that word thought in advance. It's a Greek word, protethemai, in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one. And that word one is a Greek word, anakephaleo, which 
has the word kephalo in it, which talks about a head. And it, it means gathered together under one headship, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel, bule, of his will, that we who trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. This little passage sums up what God's will is. Let me go through it quickly again. It says in verse 9, He has made known to us the mystery of his will, which he purposed in himself. In other words, it's, it's within him. It's, it's his uh, internal decision-making that doesn't require other people to be involved. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one or under one head all things in Christ. The big picture is for Jesus to be the head again. The world went off track and followed all sorts of other things, the devil and different things. And his purpose is to bring us back together under Christ's headship. First of all, by Jesus coming and living and dying for us on the cross. But then there's this process of him bringing all things back under the headship of Christ. This is the purpose of God. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him. So we can get into this purpose. And I've spoken about this in other talks. I did a talk recently called Make Your Calling and Election Sure, where it talks about how we can get in on God's purpose so that I am part of, of being predestined in what God is doing. Um, and, and I have a part to play in that. So it does involve us as individuals, but it's much bigger than us. It goes on to say, uh, we have obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the bule, the counsel of his thelema. God is working all things according to this counsel, this plan, this purpose. Uh, do you remember Romans 8, 28? It says, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It's a big purpose, but it's, it's quite narrow in the number of times that it's mentioned in the Bible. And the main thing we see here, it was a mystery. It involves Christ. It involves his headship and his death for us. And we can get in on it. And then just a few verses later in Ephesians 1, Verse 22, talking about Jesus dying and rising again and going and being seated in heavenly places. It says, and he put, God put all things under Jesus's feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we see an expanding of this truth that actually when Jesus rose again, he delegated to his church part of this purpose, this, this determined will of bringing all things under one head. He said, I've given it to the church. Let me read it again. He put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church. The church has the, the job of bringing together all things under the headship of Christ by bringing people in by us worshiping Christ, by us being changed and, and making our lives more pleasing and obedient to him, but also by reaching out and telling others about him. The church is part of this big purpose 
And it says his church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It, it's all linked up and bound up in the church. Now, that may be a surprise to you because you've maybe thought of the church as just a, a dead and irrelevant, unimportant thing, maybe just somewhere where Christians go. But actually, this makes it clear that the church is central to God's purpose. His purpose was to bring Christ, to bring all things under his headship over time until he comes back a second time. And he's involved the church in it. And it goes on in verse 9 of chapter 3 of the same book. Paul says, I was given to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Paul says, I was given the job of, of explaining the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me read that to you again because it's so powerful. It says that he has accomplished this eternal purpose. He's involving the church and the church is central to this purpose being worked out in the world. Let me read it to you again. He says, this mystery has now been made known to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, to all the spiritual realm. We overcome the devil's work by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, the word of our testimony, Revelation uh, 12 says. But this says that the church is the one expanding God's kingdom, Jesus' headship, Jesus' rule and reign, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's amazing, my friends. That's amazing. Let me read you a couple of the other verses that talk about this counsel, this this this, this determined purpose of God. The one we've already read, Hebrews 6 verse 17, it's in our anchored passage. It says, God determining Bulamai to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, his purpose, his bule, confirmed it by an oath to Abraham that by two immutable things, God's normal promises and this determined will, it is impossible for God to lie and we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. When we lay hold of this purpose, both his normal will and his determined will, we have a strong consolation. Another verse is um, Acts 2 verse 23. Peter talking about Jesus' death. It says, Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. It talks about Jesus' death being part of God's purpose and plan. Acts 4 verse 28, the church are praying and they say, do whatever your hand and your purpose, your bule, your determined will, determined beforehand to be done. And we also saw that in the Old Testament, as one of these oaths that God made in Isaiah 45, 23, he says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. It's bringing everything under the headship of Christ. Friends, our job as the church and as Christians 
is, well, first of all, as Christians, is to get into a church and get with other Christians to submit to God's express will and his determined will and say, God, we are going to extend your headship, your kingdom, your rule and reign in planet Earth by praying, by doing good, but by planting more churches as well so that more and more people will come to know you so that your headship and reign will expand in the earth and more people will come into this glory of knowing your will, working with you, being anchored in you. And as we do that with other believers and as we work out the great commission which God gave us through Jesus, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's talking about planting churches and small groups and discipleship groups. As we do that, we are working with God's determined purpose. So friend, will you be anchored in God's finished work of Christ in the spirit realm on the cross? Will you be anchored in his word and not your own ideas? And will you be anchored in his will, wanting to do what pleases him? Because if you do that, by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, both his normal will and his determined will, we can flee from all those other things. We can lay hold and take refuge in this. And we have an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast. It goes into the presence of God behind the veil, into that hidden secret realm, and nothing can shake us. I pray that you will be anchored, founded, grounded, rooted, in God's word, in his work, and in his will, and that you will aim your life and line up your plans, your purposes, your will with God's purpose, both his normal will and his determined will, and start to build his church and spread his kingdom. Because when we do that, even though there may be opposition, we are anchored and nothing can shake us. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.